0: It's time for East Cast and reports from coastal stations. East at Sierra, West at Sierra, South-West at Sierra and north Northeast east Sierra. Wind South-West, rain at times, good. Forties, fifties, sixties, Tyne, Dogger, German bite, French Kiss and Swiss Roll. Westerly becoming cyclonic, good. Right here in London's East End.
1: Operating at any level, any time, anywhere and with anybody. Who are they? One might be your secretary,
2: your doctor's receptionist or a dancer in a go-go club.
3: They're coming for you. Look,
1: there comes one of them now. Now, 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 now,
4: now. Hello and welcome to Eastcast here on Resonance 104.4 FM. We're here a little earlier than usual to hear about the arts, the culture, and the people of East London. But it's stuff that will resonate way beyond the postcode. So, wherever you're listening, good to have you with us. I'm Pearl Wise, and I'm here with Anna Xavier, who's back with us. Hi, Anna. Hey. <laughs> and a new recruit, Katie Haler. Hi, Hi, Katie. Hi. And Julia Lorca, who, who's been with us for a few months but it's her last show.
5: Yes, I'm moving to the Netherlands for a new job, which is quite exciting for me, but I'm going to miss London so much. Anyway, enough about me. Poet Selina Gordon was supposed to join us live in the studio
6: tonight, but unfortunately she had to
5: postpone. More about that later.
6: And hello from me, I'm Katie. I'll be introducing you to Mechanical Techno and a hack space that specialises in music.
7: Well, hello, it's Really good to be back. We have a musician and joining us in the studio for a live session. We'll be delving into the Italian art of the 70s and hearing about male identity.
5: To be honest, in school, I thought poetry was either childish or ancient. I really wish someone had introduced me to more contemporary poetry back then so that I had known earlier about all this ranty punk poetry out there. One shining star of London's poetry scene is Selina Godden. And I'm constantly impressed by the, by the variety of her works and her stunning performances. As Selena, unfortunately, couldn't be with us tonight, we're going to play one of her poetry performances. Here is My Tits Are More Feminist Than Your Tits.
8: My tits are feminist tits. No my tits are more no, feminist <Bank> my tits than your tits. My tits. No, my tits are more feminist, are feminist than yours. No, my tits. No, no. N-ti-ts. N-tits. no, no. Tits.
9: no. My, my tits. No,
8: my tits. My tits are gay tits. My tits are lesbian tits. My tits are minority tits. My tits are black tits. My tits are more black than your black tits. My <lineupellt> tits In are the feminist black tits. My tits are trans tits. My tits identify as women's tits. My tits have no say. My tits have no voice. My tits have no choice. My tits have no vote. My tits have got no space to be tits. My tits are more feminist than your tits. My tits are more feminist than yours. No, my tits are more feminist than your tits. Her tits, my tits, your tits. Her tits are good tits Her tits are productive tits Her tits breastfed her babies Her tits breastfeed in public Her tits are leaking milk Those tits are disgusting tits Look at those milky tits Look at those tits Look at
9: those
8: tits tits. Her tits are childless Her tits are just titillation Her tits are fake plastic boob dog tits Her tits tits are naked 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 tits Naked boobie tits Shame on her tits her tits are ageing badly, her tits were legends, her tits are Scientology tits now, her tits were seen drunk in public, one tit popped out, I could see some side boob, side boob, I could see some side boob, side boob, did you see some side boob, side boob, can you see some side boob, side boob, oh, what the fuck is side boob, side boob? Those tits are not real women's tits. Those tits don't do the school run. Those tits don't juggle both motherhood tits and career tits. Those are not the tits of a working mother. Those tits are active tits, positive and sporty tits. Her tits are running a marathon for cancer and tits. For cancer and tits, let's Let's support support the tits. tits. For cancer and tits, let's Let's support the the tits. My tits drank gin all night and cried, my tits have been naughty, don't judge my tits, don't judge my tits. Walk a mile in my bra, see how you like them tits, see how you like them tits. Her tits are asking for it. Her tits are begging for it. Those are the tits of a whore. Stop. Tits. Stop. No. Stop. Sign this petition. 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 Sign this petition. Sinus petition. Sinus petition. my tits are more feminist than your tits. No, my tits are feminist. Bitch. Bitter. Consequently, subtweet tits. Anti-tits. Anti-tits. anti Resting. Bitch. Tits. Resting. Bitch. Tits. <laughs> Resting. Those are my sister's tits, because we are all sisters, and we all have tits. Would you talk to your mother's tits like that? Would you? Think about it, think about it, think about tits, think about it, think about it. Your daughter will have tits one day. Abusing the tits, rape tits, hurt tits, benefit cut tits, vulnerable tits Her tits have no love, her tits have no home, her tits are refugee tits Those tits are at war, those tits sit in a prison camp Those tits are immigrant tits, drowning in the ocean tits Tits on opposite side of the barbed wire fence tits Murdered tits, murdered tits I love my first bra, it was a 32 double A Now my tits are a double double D Tits are temporary, tits come and go Tits are like teeth. Now breathe, focus, think about your tits. Think about them, you grew those tits all on your own. All tits are equal, but some tits are more equal than others. I think women women should do what the fuck they 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 like with their own own tits. tits. To To bra bra or not not to bra is not not a a question. question. You don't have to be such such a dick about tits. tits? Can everyone stop being such a dick about tits? Can everyone stop stop being such a a dick about tits? tits. Because all we are saying is is give tits some some peace. All we are saying is give tits a chance.
5: I would say that's definitely not childish or ancient. You can say that again. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Good start to the show, I would say.
5: So, Selena received some tragic news today. Her mentor and oldest poetry comrade, Jock Scott, died. And we're deeply sorry for your loss, Selena. And of course, we completely understand that you couldn't come in today. Selina sent us a recording of her and Jock Scott performing. And here's how she described it. This short archive is Jock and I together on stage at Broomhill Literature Festival, Devon, sometime in the mid-1990s. This audio starts with cows and then you'll hear the brilliant Arthur Smith as he is narrating a nature walk. We are all crackling up with laughter because we are watching John Cooper Clark and Jock Scott falling over on top of each other whilst climbing a grassy hill. Then Jock and I are together on stage we read two poems with much banter and laughter, drinks and larks. I seem to recall this very boozy gig ended with me on my back trying to do backspin and breakdance. This festival weekend was legendary, fueled with absinthe and mischief. A wonderful memory. I will miss you, Jock. I pickle my beef with salt, Peter.
1: And now a small company
9: watching John Cooper Clark and Jock Scott make their way up this last twenty yards. <laughs> An entertainment that
1: could last many, many hours. <laughs> Start this uh, this afternoon's proceedings. The marvelous recital, of Selena Saliva,
8: and Jock Scott,
1: and myself. She's agreed to accompany me because uh, prior to the announcement of our engagement.
8: Yes. <laughs> and a beautiful engagement we like to share
1: our love <laughs> but y'all yeah, y'all yeah, y'all yeah.
8: okay just can't get the staff nowadays she wasn't very nice she had eyes like wood lice she wasn't very nice da-da. had eyes like wood lice da-da. she wasn't very nice she had eyes like wood lice grey with legs splindled and splayed Thick, clumped with mascara, at least her lashes got laid. She wasn't very nice, she had eyes like wood lice. With a face like a slapped ass. even her pitter-bred tits wouldn't speak to each other. Clambering to separate each of her bad-tempered tits, edged underneath the dank, damp armpits... She worked behind the bar, pulling pints and faces, turning heads and stomachs with her come-to-sick-bed eyes, edged in scarlet red like a ladybird found dead. She wasn't very nice, she had eyes like wood lice With an arse like a violent baboon And the posture of an elderly hunchback That pub was suicide central Patrons found in the toilets in tears As grown men sobbed into their soured milk beers Wishing they'd gone to the other bar Where you were served with a face like a patted powder chuckled bum by happy breasts that absolutely adored each other, they giggly jiggled like a schoolgirl chum and were inseparable by less than a small ant's thumb. Thank you.
1: Absolutely. absolutely fantastic. No wonder I'm crazy about the guy. <laughs> This is a, a fantastic poem that I dashed off one day after returning from the boozer from my forthcoming collection, Menaced by Possibilities, which will probably never see the light of day <laughs>
8: until i
1: pass away. The University of Texas buys all the rubbish that I write. You
8: know they'll publish our letters, Jock. They might awesome. not publish our poems, but they'll publish our letters. I keep them all.
1: <laughs> I keep them all, darling. The only thing that keeps me going is your letters. <laughs> <Swear>. <laughs> it's got uh, three Furies' morning at the base of the crucifixion. I met you just when I'd stepped off the straight and narrow. But luckily, I fell into your arms. Happy to give up the pointless struggle, I willingly surrendered to your child. You could see I was unhappy. You could see I was in pain. You loved me like a healer, not just once, but again and again. <laughs> But all the happy days did not prepare me for the day you led me up the garden path. <laughs> Looking back, I should have seen it coming. I remember that I had to look away as you coldly blotted out my cut dismissal. I replied, Is that all you've got to say? A cloud bust in the skies as I asked you why. That's when I began to cry. What I needed was a hanky. But all you gave me was a tissue of lies.
9: <laughs> your beautiful
1: smile concealed underneath the horrible fact that you were lying through your teeth. Now you don't seem to have a good one for me. (laughs) I spend my days just smoking and sitting and doing my knitting. (laughs) Waiting round for the postman to deliver letters that you haven't even written. (laughs) I'm reduced to sitting round for 16 hours (laughs) in the vain hope that maybe you will call. (laughs) What a massive disappointment. (laughs) Just another girl after all.
5: (laughs) We really hope that Selena can make it in for one of the next shows she has lots of interesting events and projects coming up this year. But for now, over to you, Pearl.
4: On a very different tone, I'm just going to bring it down a little bit. So um, yesterday, I went to a new exhibition um, that's just opened at the um, Esterick Collection in Islington. It's called The Experience of Colour. And I spoke to curator Giovanni Nicoletta, Sorry, Giovanna Nicoletti, about this special moment in the 70s where a group of Italian artists started to explore colour in a very unique way.
10: Aldo Schmidt, Luigi Sannese, Mamo Cappelletti, Aldo Schmidt, Gianni Gisnelli, Giuseppe Venter This exhibition is a a little part of the Italian culture. It will be a little bit of surprise if they let just the colour speak without any interpretation, because no interpretation is just really colour, the purity of colour, and is something that maybe can help to see our life in a different way, just be immersed in the experience
3: of uh, art.
10: So, we are at the X-Story collection, and the title of the exhibition is The Experience of Color, Astrazione Oggettiva. My name is Giovanna Nicoletti, I'm an Italian curator, and I've been working on this subject about Astrazione Oggettiva for a while. Uh, we had a beautiful exhibition with these uh, six artists one year ago at MART, which is the Museum of Modern and Contemporary Art in Trento and Rovereto, North Italy. And uh, because of the exhibition had uh, a very big success, we decided that uh, we wanted to explore the possibility to move uh, the show around. And so we started thinking about the Astori collection.
11: I'm Roberta Cremoncini, the director of the Esther Collection, an independent uh, museum dedicated to uh, 20th-century Italian art. Eric and Salome Esterich collected the works during the 50s and then just before they died they decided to set up a foundation and was opened here in Islington in 1998. The exhibition is uh, particularly interesting in, in the context of the Estric collection because our collection is all figurative. So it's, uh, actually it is very relevant f- for me to, to show what was happening at the same time in Italy uh, in a, something that Eric and Salome Estric were not interested. So the research of, of the artists presented in Astridazione Oggettiva is particularly relevant for the, the interests of colour that the futurists in our permanent collection have.
10: It was really a good idea to bring the exhibition in these spaces, because if you will come and visit the collection of the museum, you will see that the two pieces in particular, the Musica by Russolo and the Boulevard by Severini, are strictly related to this research about colours. At the end of the 60s, beginning, let's say, of the 70s, in Italy the cultural scene was very complex because all the artists, musicians, artists of the theatre or, of course, artists in the visual art, they were really thinking about where they were in the world. A particular group of artists in different parts of Italy were trying to explore the possibility for art to express itself. So they were trying to Represent not the world outside, not the economical boom of the 60s and the superficiality in a way of the pop art, but they were trying to go back to what was the meaning of being artists, like an ancient artist, like Princess Caravaggio or all the artists of the Renaissance. They were close in their little tiny shop, maybe, or atelier, and they were trying to speak about the possibility of colour of representing himself. The combination of colour, the uh, superposition of colours for instance, the transparency of colours and so on. So when you see this uh, exhibition you will see that uh, there is a lot of colour of course in it and you don't see anything else. Because for them it was uh, like an experiment, like a research. They didn't want ever to represent the outside world, they didn't want to represent the feeling, but it was all about a rational, systematic experience. So it's a sort of a laboratory, something like that. What I would like to say is also that this movement Last only two years, from 76 to 78, because unfortunately two of the masters, Luigi Senesi and Aldo Schmidt, died very suddenly in a train accident. And so the other younger kept on, of course, going on with the research, but the movement itself was, of course, split. They were very, very serious about this research, with a manifesto, so they tried to put on the paper all their thoughts, and they were involving the public. I don't know what the public, in reality, (laughs) of course, understood at the moment, but they were very serious. They wanted to create an art that was possible to understand for everybody, everybody at uh, every level, so without uh, this division between upper class, middle class, or whatever, so...
9: Like
4: Shall we have a look at some of the paintings? So let's go into the gallery. Thank you. Can you describe for us what we can see?
10: Maybe. I I think it's uh, interesting, starting from the two masters. We are in front of Aldo Schmidt, and we have uh, three paintings near one next to the other because they were considered to be like a a cycle. So you can see that from, for instance, one part of the canvas you can shift to the other and then to the other again because uh, this artist in particular was trying to create really um, a universal form through the color is, of course, all a combination of colours. For instance, you see the red and the green that are uh, complementary colours, and the orange and the blue are the same. And so he was trying to create this combination of color that, in a, in a way, they set different parts on the canvas, but they are strictly related to each other, and they can transform themselves in something else. Maybe there is a a sort of spirituality in this art, because, of course, you see something that is going on when you look at it. Aldo Schmidt gave a lot to this group, and because also at the end of his career, I know that he died very young, but he was working on a special work, and it was made by 720 pieces and every one every paper was um, of course uh, full of color but if you look at this work all together it's like a box for him it was uh, the possibility to express the gathering of all the color in the universe and at the end you discover the colors are non narrow not black and when you look at all these work put together it's like a box it's like really a conceptual piece of art where all Again, the possibility of uh, experimenting color and also sensation is all together. So we are at the X-Story Collection and the title of the exhibition is The Experience of Colour, Astrazione Oggettiva." There are six artists, Aldo Schmidt, Luigi Senesi, Mauro Cappelletti, Diego Mazzonelli, Gianni Pellegrini, Giuseppe Venter Marini. The exhibition will be open from the 13th of April and it will end at the end of July.
4: So if you've never been to the Esteric Collection, um, I highly recommend a visit as it's such a lovely space and a very good place to impress a date, oh, I would say. Yes. So? Oh, yes. Oh, good news. Well, people, check it out.
7: And now we're delighted to welcome to the show, Ingr- uh, Greek-English singer-songwriter Anna Z. Hi, Anna. Hiya. <laughs> Before we find out a bit of, uh, about your career and about you, um, what would you like to play
12: Uh, I'm going to play one of the songs from my upcoming EP, and it's called Under the Water. Right, take it away. Thanks.
9: under the water where it's quiet, safe and sound. All the things you want to do when there's nobody around. And I know it's just your shelter from the hurricanes above. Thank you
7: very much. Um, well, since we're talking about your um, your EP, then what? Let tell us a bit about how was the the writing process. How how did you get into it? Um, well,
12: the whole EP, I'd say the theme of the EP is about me reclaiming myself. Um, I came. I was in a really really dark place, and those song. Everything in my life was changing. Everything was in transition, and so that was also a lot of fuel for writing songs and creativity. And um, so, yeah, through paid and through difficult times, um, these songs emerged. And I'd say not all of the songs are kind of about me experiencing difficult times, but also about the beauty of change and transition.
7: I I, I think that normally when you're going through dark moments, that's when people get like really amazing inspiration. You know, you you also write when you're happy, but I mean, that's that's when you (laughs) feel... Yeah. And um, talking a bit about your inspiration, um, your Greek roots clearly mm-hmm. inspired your your music start. I
12: yeah, yeah. I mean, my musical journey has gone, I've been to so many different places in terms of genre, but um, my first inspiration was when we moved to Greece, I was 10 years old and um, I heard Greek bouzouki music um, for the first time and there was a guitar accompanying and it was um, to Greek dancing and I was just blown away and um, I immediately asked my mum, can I please have guitar lessons? And um, so, yeah, the first things I learned on the guitar were Greek folk music and um, so, yeah, that's played a huge part in my musical upbringing
7: amazing and um, I think it's also important to uh, note that your granddad was one of the first people to use synthesizers so that got you as well yeah. a bit in the bandwagon of music
12: yeah yeah. Um, he's amazing I mean he's uh, one of the first people to invent the synthesizer and some amazing artists um, collaborated with him like Pink Floyd and the Beatles and um, he also uses a lot of found sounds in his work and that's been a big inspiration for me as well um, in things I've done in the past, I've used household objects like banging toilet seats or dripping taps and yeah, so. And br- uh, hairbrushes. And hairbrushes, yeah. <laughs>
7: Wow, that's that's literally getting inspiration from anything around you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and um, before the show, we were talking about um, even your music um, route. You were saying that you were the only female in the uh, in class uh, in university. In
12: class. Um, yeah. So at the moment, I'm studying ethnomusicology, but before that, I was doing a degree in guitar and um, at the Institute of Contemporary Music in London, and um, that was a very strange experience um, because. I was the only woman in a on a degree course of about like 300 men and um so that made me very aware of being a woman in a male dominated industry and you know suddenly a lot of things became about the fact that I'm a female guitarist as opposed to just a guitarist and um so yeah that's something I'm always very conscious of um throughout my musical career
7: okay that's that's something that you should you should be using that to inspire other Uh, female that want to get into uh, female guitarists yeah
12: for sure Um, I think it's important you don't see very many female session musicians for example and I think it's really important um, yeah it should happen more
4: I guess you don't want to necessarily be defined as a female guitarist. You just want to be a guitarist, right? You want to just be good. Yeah, That's, yeah. yeah. I,
12: I guess um, just if more women did it and had yeah, if um, and went out there with um, being an instrumentalist, then it wouldn't be defined by being a female. It would just be, I am a guitarist. I'm a pianist. Whatever.
7: Great and. Um, also about your you've been to Greece you've been to London you you were studying in New York you were saying yeah. um, how is the music scene in so many different places how do you feel that um it's playing in different places how the audience is
12: um well in terms of Greece so much music there is so passionate you know connected to the country and um it's so personal so emotional and it's very sad that because of the greek economic crisis um music hasn't been able to thrive and if you're a young creative person it's very difficult to be there at the moment um which is why a lot of people like myself the people that have the opportunity to that is um leave the country and go and study somewhere else um and perfect their craft somewhere else um so, yeah, that brought me to London. And, you know, as you know, London's got a, th- a great music scene, a um, lot of opportunity for unsigned artists and, yeah.
7: Great. Um, so if people want to hear you in London, where would they be able to hear you play soon?
12: Um, well, I've got a gig coming up at the Troubadour in Earls Court. Um, it's a night called Jam Sandwich, which is hosted by Louise Welby. Um, and it should be a really fantastic night. Lots of other talented artists playing Um Yeah, so that's the 28th of April.
7: And your EP release?
12: My EP release is going to be June 10th.
7: Uh, are you going to do any performances uh, to to celebrate the release?
12: Yeah, um, there there will be an EP release. There's one in the making, an EP ah, release okay. party that's brewing still. So
7: basically, let's tell people where they can find about you on your social media channels, and mm-hmm. so then it can keep an eye on on that. I suppose.
12: Yeah, for sure. Um, so on most social media platforms, I am at Anna Zed Music. Um, so yeah, I'm posting loads of updates at the moment. Little clips of me practicing. So yeah, if you want to stay in the loop, that's where you can find me.
7: Great. Um, I think it's now time to hear another track. And uh, would you like to play Hollow? Yes.
12: Yeah, I believe. Yeah, Warpful. great. I'll be playing my track Hollow. Great. Thanks.
9: I've been thinking about the moment it happened I wonder what was on your mind Did you feel the peace and the quiet The silence you had tried so hard to find Time. I don't think you gave up. Oh, I think you were strong enough.
7: Amazing. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your music with us, Anna. Thanks for having
6: me. Thanks. Next up is a venture into the world of music hacking. Julia and I went along to East London's Music Hackspace in Bethnal Green for a workshop given by sound artist and musician Graham Dunning. Graham has a rather unique style of creating techno music and we caught up with him during the evening for a quick demo.
8: Thank you very much for joining us. This is the first in our series of um, Grants for the Arts funded programme of events. So, with his project Mechanical
6: Techno, here is Graham Dunning. We're here with Graham Dunning. Hi, Graham. Hello. Could you tell us a little bit about your music?
2: So, this particular project is called Mechanical Techno, which I also subtitle Ghost in the Machine Music. And the idea is it's a kind of um, ramshackle contraption it's a machine which functions as a rotating sequencer uh, built on a turntable with lots of different layers of records each modified in a different way to produce a different sound
6: so can you describe what's going on with this demo
2: so the first record is a 12 inch record and it's had holes drilled in it with kind of nuts and bolts put through at each 90 degree angle and they are, as it rotates, hitting against some contact mics which are triggering a drum synthesizer and that sounds like this. So the top disc of the stack has got strips of copper in different patterns on it and then each time these electrical contacts go past it triggers a sampler which has got a recording of a gong. So that sounds like this. It's a way of making, essentially making, rhythmical, repetitive music. The thing is, with uh, a record turning at 33 and a third RPM, if you divide the record into four, so you get four beats in the bar, that becomes... 133 and a third BPM, which is quite a good sort of techno rhythm. So, by dividing the record into four, you get this instant kind of 4 4 repetitive rhythm. Uh, but what I like about the system is that it's inherently quite wonky, it's unpredictable, and also it's kind of modular, so I can use lots of different types of sound sources. So, I use electronic and live sampling and acoustic stuff and whatever else kind of comes out of the machine. So, and I guess that's why I call it. A ghost in the Machine music because it does things that I'm not expecting it to. It's it's kind of uh, got a, a bit of a, a mind of its own in some ways, and it, it throws up different things I would never think to do.
6: So far from the stereotype some people might have of sitting in a studio and occasionally pressing a few buttons, it's very homemade, very crafty. Um, was the sort of hacky nature of your work very deliberate?
2: I guess I've always been into sort of tinkering and taking things apart and messing about with stuff. I mean, that's just what I do. I'm always trying to work out how things work. And before I kind of decided to get into sound art, even like as a teenager, long before I knew what sound art or anything like that was really just experimenting for its own sake. I do understand why people sometimes think that kind of techno or electronic music uh, isn't as handcrafted as as what live musicians do. But then I think like some of it feels like it's more design than it is art, which is partly because it has a purpose. You know, it's, it's intended for making people dance. There is a huge amount of craft in it and there is a huge amount of sort of sound design involved in a lot of it as well. And it's like with anything, there's lots of good stuff and lots of rubbish as well.
6: Some of the setup you talked about earlier is quite like playful and quite creative, and other bits seem quite scientific. What's the balance there? Are you purposely making it quite scientific?
2: It's kind of through chance really, so I happened upon the retort stands through a friend of mine bringing those into the setup It just gives it this kind of mad scientist laboratory feel. So yeah, I guess I wanted to sort of play up on that a bit and so then using glass scientific prisms as part of it. I mean, I considered wearing a lab coat to do it with, but thought it was a bit bit tacky in the end. So I decided not to, you know, the video mechanical techno demonstration that I did with Michael Forrest. We took the aesthetic from uh, Look Around You, which is BBC um, comedy. Again, it's kind of, Scientific, but then I really like the idea of playing with sort of pseudo science as well, and you're being told these facts as if they're true, but they might not be actually true. So I kind of like that as well.
6: As a record collector myself, I'm thrilled and shocked at what he does to mutilate these slabs of vinyl. I love the science lab look and I think most of all I really love the way that he describes his practice as emerging from his playful experimentation with the medium rather than having a, an overall design before he starts. I think that's really exciting.
12: I used to experiment with turntables. Me and my
0: friends were very into, like, the scratch DJs at the time. So it was really cool to kind of see that kind of thing still happening, but in, like, a much more advanced way than we were ever doing
5: I Graham's demo at the Lime Wharf last week, and it seems like Hack Spaces are popping up everywhere right now. But one aspect that distinguishes the Music Hack Space from other places is its spe- specialization on music. And the second aspect is that the Music Hack Space has an almost academic program of talks, workshops and demos lined up. And this process of professionalization is somewhat unusual for Hack Spaces. We went to find out more from program producer Tadeo Senden and... Composer in Residence Jack James.
13: The Music Hack Space is an organisation that provides a space and a platform for artists to come together and share ideas about sound art, music, music technology, and anything that they're interested in. The collective has been existing since 2011. Throughout that time, it's changed from being a small hacker space run by a group of volunteers to a more detailed and organised programme of content and activities. We're now running through Grants for the Arts funding. Our goal is to have an extensive programme of workshops and artist talks. And then there's obviously our artists in residence and composer uh, residency programme called Embedded.
6: So we're here with one of the artists or composers <laughs> in residence. Jack James. Jack, could you tell us a bit about what you do here?
0: So I'm thinking about hacking as a kind of political act in relation to everyday objects, in relation to how you could maybe change little behaviours or domestic technologies that people come into contact with every day. There's a a local custom or practice of uh, parking in this disused area on the Oval. There are three people who live there in vans and there's 10, 15 abandoned cars And then every day there's maybe 20 to 30 people who commute and everyone parks each other in. So everyone puts their mobile phone number on the windscreen. So I found that quite exciting because it was like you're using this relatively new piece of technology, which is the mobile phone, and that this requires people remaining relatively local. So you have this kind of like rules, and that was part of a composer residency. I guess rules is kind of interesting. So I created a score, a text-based score, retelling this. So it was a kind of both an action of documentation or documentary um,
13: or field recording but then also a kind of invitation to participate.
6: How can people get involved with a hackspace?
13: by coming to our events uh, signing up to a workshop this year we have one workshop uh, where people can come and be and build their own antenna for hidden frequencies so it's like a device that allows you to listen to sounds that are out of the audible spectrum and we have a series of super collider classes one wednesday a month we also have circuit bending workshops where people can come and and hack circuit bend those toys and then they take the device with them home and there is some more to be announced that I, i can't confirm yet but yeah
6: So make sure to check out the Music Hackspace website for their upcoming events. For example, this weekend, they're hosting a DIY percussion and distortion workshop where you can create a modular synth. And I
5: highly recommend checking out Graham's YouTube channel. It's really amazing. We post a link on Twitter and our website. Um, And you can visit his website, of course, to learn more about his work in general. And if you'd
6: like to see Graham live, he's got a few dates coming up. This Friday, he's performing at the London South Bank University as part of the Magnetic South Festival. On Wednesday, the 20th of April, he'll be performing at the Flatpak Film Festival in Birmingham with a workshop on the Thursday. And on Sunday, the 24th of April, he's doing a jazz improv set with artist Mark Brown at the 100 Years Gallery in Hoxton.
4: Thanks, Katie. Um, I really love the actual space at, um, at Lime Wharf. It's, it's such a nice kind of place to be in. It doesn't feel like you're in a kind of techie place. It feels quite comfortable and, and nice. So um, even if you're not that kind of tech, technically inclined, I think you can just go and hang out and, and listen to the talks and... Um, you know experiment I think it's, it's such a great project so um, you've been listening to Eastcast on Resonance 104.4 FM don't forget you can get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook at Eastcast Show and you can listen again to our interviews our music online on iTunes and at eastcastshow.com or sign up to our monthly newsletter to get all our audio news straight into your inbox now, this has been a regular feature. Um, propaganda is a live event that takes a big issue that's floating about in the zeitgeist and attempts to pop it. So last month, um, in the book club Shoreditch Basement, uh, we it was packed out while we explored the question, are lost male identities the key to modern femi- feminism? Here's the podcast from the event.
1: of yeah. time... Not yet. Let us pray that it never happens. Can't we agree that capitalism
13: is an economic system, a system for the production and distribution of things we need and want? If you treat her right, she might make you a darn good employee.
10: What's the answer? Is it money, or is it magic?
1: It defies any code of morality. Let me be clear. Dear man, took me a while to learn what that meant
4: propaganda is a couple of hours where we pop the notion we challenge or change people's perception and invite you to the table to join the conversation or debate around current live issues this propaganda is lost male identities the key to modern feminism my name is Danny Lucar, Our two advocates with us today Anastasia Niedinger and Sarah Hertz.
14: For most of the century, men derived their sense of manliness from their work. That was what was meant by being a man, their kind of breadwinner role. And now it seems that men in many economies are stuck.
4: So Sarah Hurtas is a French humanitarian worker and a freelance journalist.
14: I think from an international development uh, perspective, the way we've seen women economic empowerment and also in mainstream media has been very simplistic because we often think that we'll empower women and all men will fall in line. I'm not saying, you know, men are the new victims in this kind of gender debate. And also, that's a pendulum we too often get stuck in. If we look at men, that we don't look at women. I think it's really important that contemporary gender equality strategies, as well as scientific studies, involve both men and women and take into account analysis of the roles of genders in promoting gender equality, in dismantling structural inequalities, and changing gender roles.
15: gender fluidity is covered so extensively in the media in terms of fashion and sex and this peacocking how you behave and what you wear but nobody's talking about gender fluidity of the mind
4: anastasia advocates the uptake of mindfulness empathy gender fluidity
15: by both sexes her theories are illustrated in her project gender in utero which is a portrait study of androgyny of the mind and the study of its psychological benefits The reason I'm doing this is because the definition of androgyny seems to be lost these days. Androgyny is more than just appearance. It's not just about the fashion and the commodification of androgyny, and it's not just about fluidity of sex, which can alienate a lot of people from experimenting with their own gender. This hacking gender movement might allow us to get the most out of being a man, a man who can relate with a woman, experience other parts of your identity color wheel, and again provide that quality introspection before you start engaging in feminist or otherwise discourse.
14: I'd just like to stress the fact that we should avoid the kind of binary construct and be much more flexible in terms of identity. And what it means to be a man can be so many different things and try to avoid the stereotypes.
15: People, whether we like to admit this to ourselves or not, we need incentives to change and we need incentives to believe in something that we read online. A way that I've decided to to tackle that is, through the project, actually offer people knowledge about their own right brain, left brain thinking, the psychological studies that have been done since the 1960s, 1970s, about the benefits of androgyny in daily life. So actually being able to know about the tangible effects.
3: We all have our public persona. My public persona leads me to be uh, seen as a, a woman, and my political party, therefore, is woman but uh, for instance I have a hashtag which is mistaken for a man uh, because it happens to me all the time and the people who do it are then horrified when I speak because although my voice is low it's not that low And and they are they are horrified and embarrassed and I'm fine with it because I don't I don't look out at the world as a woman I look out at the world as a person and I never understood when I was small, I, I, I thought there was some kind of box you ticked at a certain age that said, I, I think I'll try being a bloke, or I, I think I'd like to be a woman. And it didn't happen, and then time went by, and then clearly I was going to be female, and so therefore I went, oh, okay. But a lot of the time, <laughs> uh, for me, that's not how I perceive myself. So I think a lot of my growing up and a lot of my earlier life, if you like, was me going, can I be on the inside of this political party called woman, or, or do I perceive myself as other?
6: Should I be standing up and saying, actually, I am a woman, and that means that I can be powerful and strong and angry and obnoxious and delicate and soft and all of those things, and that by doing that we do something more nuanced and, and more complex than actually saying gender neutrality, which
15: is, which is kind of whitewashing an issue... I don't necessarily agree that gender neutrality even exists. I think you're moving between constantly. Gender neutrality is to assume that you are neither at any point. And um, I don't know if I can get my head around that, to be honest. But fluidity as a concept, I think, is incredibly important.
9: I just wanted to say something about what you just said about the the question whether we should just be a woman in all our complexities and a man in all our complexities. My idea of it is that, yes, we should, we should totally, but we should also embrace everything else that is there, which we don't, by defining it so specifically, by by making people choose. I I don't think they should have to choose.
15: Unfortunately, this liberalisation of of thought is happening via fashion. It's an external manifestation of this open-mindedness and breaking gender norms. And I think that there's something superficial about that. But it offers an avenue for children to, say, children, teenagers who see that, to follow suit and not feel restricted themselves. And I think that's a really interesting point here, that there are young people actually initiating what we're talking about today of their own volition.
2: But I've never been asked or heard the question so many times what it is to be a man. I find it really weird being asked that. Makes me relatively uncomfortable.
0: I'm absolutely fascinated that the majority view seems to be that education and what clothes you wear and what sports you're allowed to play at school has such a, an, a massive effect on the formation of gender identity. However, how on earth is it therefore not the case that having a penis or a vagina is somehow not? incredibly important in terms of how gender is constituted
15: and we mustn't forget that in the UK or in particularly in Scandinavia where I've reported on gender neutral schooling at nursery level and stuff that this is a very very privileged and an advanced conversation we're having
0: one of the things that comes to mind about this is the the sort of fragility in masculinity there's men tend to be always trying to prove something
14: Yeah, I think it's also, there's been spaces for women and girls to discuss notions of femininity, what it means uh, to empower themselves, but not so much for men and boys. You know, a lot of the programs that we do on the field have small groups of men and boys discuss what it means to be a man and, and then breaking away from that stereotype and expressing their fears. If they can start to express their fears, then already there'll be better outcomes for these programs in the long run. To a certain
6: extent, identity seems to be claimed or proclaimed at a time when only that identity has become under threat or in, under crisis. So you see then that, that actually those those people who are extremely privileged don't even have to claim an identity because it's just that that is what's expected and that, that's the norm.
14: When I was invited to speak here, I talked to my friend and, and I was saying to her, but isn't this whole thing already a, a previous issue? I mean... Because in the development world, I mean, we talk about this from years now. So uh, it's funny when you all say, you know, that uh, we're in kind of a bubble and and almost like it's a secret society and this is a very controversial issue and we shouldn't uh, talk to uh, people outside. Because in my world, these are notions that we talk about every day and uh, these are issues that we tackle in lots of different countries, in lots of different communities. So it's funny to see that here in London,
15: it's a very controversial issue. When we're talking about a genderless future, is anybody actually asking why? Gender in Utero is about not just the what of MX category or a agender or, or genderless. It's actually asking why this benefits us in terms of mental health, our well-being. And I want to actually put out studies that have proven that it's beneficial to the mind to your uh, to your daily life that uh, there are studies suggesting that it can aid depression you know it can it can help your ego for the positive the next
4: thank has been propaganda lost male identity the key to modern feminism the next propaganda is on Sunday, the 22nd of May at the Book Club in Shoreditch with another controversial topic. So watch this space. Wow, it's time for us to say goodbye already. We've been Eastcast. We'll be back next month with more sounds and stories from the East. And we'll leave you with a tiny extract from another track from Anna Z, um, who was in the studio earlier. And this is Burn Me Down. So good night and thanks for listening.
9: My body is young and my soul is old The last two years have turned me cold